0: I think you really are blessed. And if we were to move here, this would be a church I'd want to be a part of. Amen? So stay close to this, this house and watch God grow it and do some miracles. Okay, we're, gonna, we're, uh, we're not going to have worship tonight, but we are that 10-string instrument. You remember that I shared the other night that he could pluck the strings of our heart and we can bring him the worship. So if you'll stand with me right now. Thank you for coming out on a Monday. I guess some people had a rough time with traffic, from what I understand, but uh, you made it. Hold the hand of somebody next to you, even if they're a germaphobe. (laughs) Lord, we thank you so much for the sweet fellowship that we have in Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, for this awesome night we can, this evening we can share together. And Lord, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come upon us, that what I share will be what we need to hear, and what we don't need to hear, we won't even hear it. So Lord, put over our hearts, just Velcro, that that what is good and pure and holy and righteous would stick to us tonight and would become a part of our lives. We pray for the person to the right hand of us and to the left hand, Lord, that you'll anoint them and that they will leave totally blessed and totally filled with your divine presence. We thank you, Holy One. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our church family. Thank you, God, for the sweet koinonia, the fellowship of the saints, this sight of heaven that is so sweet and and, and precious. We thank you, God. I pray that you will uh, put value on everybody's heart and that we will never devalue one another. Lord, but we will see one another in the eyes of grace, the eyes of Christ. And I ask for the mysteries of God to be revealed tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Have a seat. <clears throat> I'm going to... Um, I'm going to share, and maybe uh, we'll open this up for some Q&A, see how that goes. Uh, I may share for a while, and then take Q&A, and then go back into sharing some other things, if that's okay. I want to talk tonight about the mysteries of God. One of the passions that I carry is to, to introduce people to things that they don't understand. And I think the church, the Western church, is so predictable, in, in trying to demystify what you cannot uh, understand in the natural mind. Uh, truth is not received in the intellect. Truth is received by the open heart, the open will that says yes to God. Let me try to say it better. The door to truth is not the intellect. The door to truth is a heart yielded to God. God. So it's not the smartest person in the room that gets more of Jesus. It's the most tender one. It's the most yielded one. It's the one that can unlearn. The one that can say, I'm wrong. And I've never understood, but I want to learn. That's the one that gets the goodies. (laughs) That's the one that Jesus loves and blesses. There's a scripture in Proverbs 8. I'm sorry, I can't give you the exact address, but it's in Proverbs 8, and and Solomon says, I stand daily at your doorposts waiting for what you will say to me. And to come at the threshold of the presence of God and stand in his presence and say, Lord, what do you have to say to to me, your servant? Speak to me, Lord. Help me know you and to love you Mystery is so important in our lives Uh, You can deny it you can push it aside and say well if I don't understand it It's not God and sadly there's a, a large segment of the evangelical church that deify the mind and If if they if they can't understand a manifestation then it must not be God if they can't understand a tongue then it must God doesn't give those gifts anymore I shared the other night how for 10 years I taught tongues was of the devil, and the Lord made me wait 10 years, and he was right to do so. Of course, he's always right, but he, he would not let me speak in tongues until I passed that 10-year period of time because I taught that it was of the devil. I, I, don't, I hope you can understand that. I hope you can receive that and not get mixed up with it, but <clears throat> Jesus is the example and the teachings of Jesus, his own disciples, didn't understand. He was with them for three years. He taught them the mysteries of God. And they didn't understand a thing he said. In John 16, 29, John sixteen twenty nine. one time they understood him. And that was the the night before he was crucified. They'd walked with him. He'd told them things. And they were puzzled by everything he said. But once, John 16, 29, they said, Now you're talking plainly to us. We get it. So don't be surprised that you don't understand all the things of God. I mean, I know that sounds silly even to say it, doesn't it? But the know-it-all attitude is so prevalent. You know, we judge, by, we judge by the appearance. And if you looked at Jesus, you would have missed him. It says that there was nothing about his appearance that made people desire him. It doesn't mean that he was in any way homely. It just meant that he didn't glow in the dark, so to speak. You know, there, there was nothing spectacularized about the life of jesus that made everybody come to him like a circus attraction and you had to know him in spirit or you would never know him and that's the same today if we judge by the outward and if we go by the flesh we will miss jesus so many times i've thought that's not god only to find out later (laughs) it's god not doing what i want him to do. Jacob woke up after his vision of the divine stairway, and he said, God is in this place, and I knew it not. How many times has God been in that place you're in, and you didn't realize it? God can be in a difficult marriage. God can be in a work situation that's really stress-filled. And when you come up out of this thing and you get in the spirit, you realize there's more of God in everything that happened to you today than you could ever imagine. Because your life is in his hands. Mysteries, there's 27 of them in the New Testament, 27 mysteries of the New Testament. I don't think I can cover all of them tonight, but I just, I just want to kind of tease you a little bit with this, because I, I want you to get out of your head for a while. I want you to get out of this, this linear Greek-Roman mindset, this mathematical computation of God and His Word. Because God is spirit. Can you hold the spirit in your hand? How can you describe where the spirit comes from and where he goes? It's like the wind, isn't it? So there's so many mysteries that God wants us to embrace without understanding what they are. I don't know if you're understanding what I'm saying. But if you would learn to embrace the mysteries... You will find God. <laughs> I remember one time teaching, and anointing was so strong in the meeting, the keyboard started playing, no one was up there. That's happened. Yeah. <laughs> That'll make you wonder. Turn to Matthew 1334. <clears throat> Matthew 1334 is a very important neglected verse. Matthew 13, 34 says that Jesus never taught the people without using parables. The preferred teaching method of Jesus was not three-point sermons. It wasn't outlines. Uh, every, you know, with every point that begins with P, you know. Praise, purpose, power. <laughs> he didn't teach that way. He imparted life to his disciples, right? He walked with them. He just enjoyed them, and they enjoyed him. He lived life with his men with, and the, the women that followed him as well. He lived his life with them. He ate what they ate. He, he went with them. You know, and that impartation of life came, came forth. But when he opened his mouth, verbal glory was released. He would open his mouth and his words became portals into another realm. The teaching he gave was so astounding that nobody had ever taught that way. And they had never really heard anything like it. Matter of fact, they didn't even understand it. They'd come out of the synagogue. And, and one of the Jewish guys would say, man, that was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. But what did he say? Bless you, my child. Do you see what I'm saying? They, they uh, don't get jealous. They enjoyed what he shared. They knew it was God, but their mind didn't catch up. Jesus never taught the people without allegory. The preferred teaching method of Jesus is allegory because the language of God is not Hebrew. The language of God is not Greek. The language of God is not English. The language of God is picture the language of God is picture the language of God is picture even Hebrew ancient Hebrew was pictographic every letter of the Hebrew language 22 of them had a had a meaning the letter itself was a symbol if you think about it you know our life is full of symbols Letters on a page. They're but, they're but symbols. Money in your billfold, in your purse. What is it but paper? Really, it's just paper. If you really think about it, it's paper representing something. It's in itself but a symbol. So our entire life, we live in this realm of picture, of story, And a reality that goes beyond what we see with our eyes. Amen? So Jesus introduced people to a realm that was outside of rational thought. It was supernatural, transcendent. It was mysterious. And for you to back away from something because you can't, it doesn't fit, is to miss God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Who said that? God did. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So if you can think it, it's likely not God. (laughs) It's the Spirit that gives us life, and it's the Spirit that imparts more of Christ to us. This is why I love the Song of Songs, because it's a story. I see in the eight chapters of that that, um, divine opera, I see a story of how Jesus romances us, if I could say it that way, that he, he woos us into union with him. Not by angry exhortations, not by guilt, you know, guilty teachings, but by love. He wins us over. And at the end, we become that fiery Shulamite with the seal of burning passion over our heart. You think about the story of Joseph the story of Abraham. The story of Moses. I taught the first day I was here on David. The Bible itself is but stories. If I were to say, turn in your Bible to the book of justification, <laughs> or turn in your Bible to the book of doctrine, what book would you turn to? You see what I'm getting at? It's it's stories. Now, there, there is some didactic teaching. There is some unfolding of rational thought, mostly by the apostles in the New Testament. But what are you going to do with the book of Psalms, the poetry? Even the book of Job is divine poetry. I can't wait to help unfold that to a generation. So Jesus' preferred method was to give stories to people. And... Most churches I know don't do that. You know, close the doors, don't let anybody leave until everybody gets it. We give paper, you fill in the blanks, you know, get, the, get this. I really want you to get it. Well, nobody got what Jesus taught. We're still puzzled over some of it 2,000 years later, right? So it's a vain quest to think that our job as, as pastors or teachers is to get everybody to, to get it. No. When Jesus would throw it so far over everybody's head, only the humble would seek for it. He taught in such a way that it required the de-selfing of your heart and that it required that you not try to come to God with your mind. The mind is a very poor container for truth. How's it working for you? You think about the knowledge that you can get of all the sciences on earth. It is less than one grain of sand on a seashore. I mean, if you think about it, the vast realm I think God teases us with the cosmos, with the sky, the tapestry of the stars and the constellations and the Hubble telescope. It's, it's all to like show us that he's transcendent, he's other than, he's so vast. The heavens can't even contain him, Solomon said, much less this house I will build for you. What we do is we hyper-literalize the Bible. We so hyper-literalize the Bible, we actually put God on a throne when, in fact, it's a metaphor. You think God is going to sit in a chair like that? You're going to put Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you're going to squeeze him down to what, a 30-inch by 24-inch seat? Oh, okay, well, let's make it big, okay? Okay. All right, a big throne, all right? But you're still going to squeeze God, going to limit him to a chair? You see, the throne is but a metaphor. If God is omnipresent, so is his throne. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Right? Right? So the the four levels, let me give it to you, and I shared this the last time I was here. This is the four levels of interpreting every verse of the Bible. If you take notes, this would be a good time to do it. It is the word pardes, P-A-R-D-E-S. It's the Hebrew word paradise, the Hebrew word paradise. Rabbis teach that paradise is found in the Word of God, that when you come into the revelation of Scripture, you enter into paradise. Pardes. And it's an acronym if I had a whiteboard I'd write it out for you P R D S let's take P P is the Hebrew word Peshat P-E-S-H-A-T Peshat Peshat is the Hebrew word plain or simple every Bible verse has a plain or simple meaning right for us plain and simple people thank God you can take the Bible literally sometimes I don't see very many one-eyed men here, or one-armed, one-handed people, because we're told to cut off our hand, pluck out our eye, right? Everybody knows that when Jesus said, eat my body, it was a metaphor. Do you know we do not worship a lamb? We do not worship a lamb. That's idolatry a woolly, four-legged lamb is not sitting on the throne. We all are worshiping a literal animal, barnyard animal, a lamb. Can we agree to that? (laughs) So why would you make the lamb a metaphor and not the throne? Or the book? So let's back up. Peshat is plain and simple. And um, the Western church... Really specializes in that one. The next level is Ramez, Remez, R E M E Z, R E M A Z, Remez, which means hint. There's a hint of something deeper in every plain and simple Bible verse. Right? So every verse of the Bible, there is a hint of something more profound than what you're going to get on the surface. And it requires you to, like, Go to the next level, which is derash. D. Uh, I'll I'll spell it. You know, like an English version of it. D e r a s h. Derash. Derash. If you're around. Uh, Hebraic teachings, you'll under, you'll remember the word midrash. Midrastic teaching. Derash is the Hebrew word to seek, to inquire, to dig. To seek, to inquire, to go deeper. This is the level that few Westerners get to. There's still one more. Um, Let me go on to Sod, and then I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to teach you out of Sod tonight. This is where I've been trying to take us here. The fourth is sod, sod, Sod is the Hebrew word secret or mystery. The Hebrew word for secret or mystery. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, that love him supremely. Now sod, this level is not given to you by man. You will not get it in a Matthew Henry commentary. It's not given in a, usually in a classroom. It is a re- revelation that comes from God. God has to reveal this to you or you will not get it. This is the level that Jesus taught in. He taught the disciples and the parables and every teaching. He taught out of this Sod realm, out of the realm of revelation from the Father. This is Ezekiel 1. People who think they know it all, I encourage them to read Ezekiel 1 and come back and tell me what it's all about. I mean, wheels, wings, eyes, living creatures, whirlwinds. I mean, bro. You you cannot hyper-literalize that. It forces you into sod. If you keep trying to figure God out in your head, you will miss him. The intellect is not the way to understand the ways of God. We can know the facts about things. We can get our mind. We can memorize Bible verses. I actually memorized half the New Testament, and it didn't necessarily make me a better husband. But I could quote Bible verses all day long. I had charts every, uh, every day. I would I'd try to memorize 10 verses a day. And I worked hard for years at memorizing Ephesians, Philippians, Paul's letters, Romans, Hebrews. But the water has to become wine. The water of the Word of God has to become life. So this sod level is where <clears throat> God is trying to get the church in, this, in these last days. I tell you, this will hit the young, the millennials. This will touch the heart of people who want to go past the boring levels of church uh, talk, churchianity. You start unfolding mysteries, and they're going to go after it. Right, Stranger Things? We're all enamored with Star Wars and superheroes and the things that transcend our own boring touch of reality. And God knows that that this level is where he lives. God is spirit. God is not simply a book, right? He's a person. And that requires relationship. And that means secrets shared. Because a true relationship is the sharing of secrets. And when God shares his secrets, he's doing so with friends, with people that love him. Faith is God's love language. When you trust him, I believe he's, he's shown me that, that trust is his love language. When we trust when we don't know, but we trust, even if we don't see it, but we trust, that moves God's heart. It's his love language. So Jesus taught and saw it. Let's take an example. This will help you. The woman at the well. John 4. Remember that story? What if there's a whole level to that you've never seen? What if it's actually... Well, let's just let's talk about it. Let's go there. First of all, jesus had to go to this woman right he must go through samaria and he came to a well and he sat down on that well what was the well he sat down on jacob's well he closed jacob's well he sat and sealed he became a lid to the conniving, clever, competitive, better-than-you, heel-grabbing Jacob life that you have experienced. He sealed that. He sat as a lid on Jacob's well. You going to go with me on this? And opened up a new one. A well of living water sprang up. He closed one and opened a new one. And here he is, a well on a well. You see it? And here comes the woman with her water pot. And this strange man sitting on the well. What does he say to her? Give me a drink. But it wasn't for water. He wanted her heart. He drinks and feasts from the cup of bliss we lift to him we lift to his lips the refreshment when he said on the cross I thirst it wasn't for water he'd already turned down the sour wine can you see Jesus as a well thirsting for somebody to come and just take what he would give them and that they would refresh him with their faith So they get into this really interesting dialogue that I think is quite humorous. And she deflects, you know, she wants to divert the conversation. And Jesus keeps pulling her into Sod. He keeps wanting to get her into his realm. You know, he came into our world, now you go into his. We need to go into his realm to meet him. Because we won't in the flesh. So, um, you know, she says, who do you think you are? You know, are you better than Jacob who gave us, who dug this well and watered his animals and flocks here? I'm thinking, sweetheart, he's the God of Jacob. And she talks about where to worship, and Jesus basically says it isn't where, it's how it's in spirit it's in truth it's not on that mountain or in that city it's in spirit and truth she's locked into her world isn't she the natural realm is so it's so real we think that's all there is when in fact there is another realm right in front of us close enough to reach it's the kingdom of god So finally, she puts one foot in and one foot out, and she says, Okay, give me this water that makes me never want to thirst again, so I don't have to come back here and get water from this well. And then he said, Go call your husband. She's thinking, Which one? And and she said, I don't have a husband. And he gave her a word of revelation knowledge. Remember, he said, actually, you're right. You've had five. Living with one who isn't. She's had five husbands. Now, in no way meaning to offend anyone. But everyone in this room has been married five times. You have five husbands. You've been locked into your five senses. The five husbands. Living with one who isn't the sixth, that's the number of man. Come on. That makes Jesus the seventh, the perfect. You see how he pulled her slowly into that sod level? And then she dropped her water pot and became one. And she took living water back to Sychar. She led an entire village to Jesus Christ. The first city-reaching apostle, the first one to win a city in the Bible, was a messed-up chick with five husbands. She changed the world. Like a waterfall, the people came out of Sychar down to this well to meet the man that told her her secret. What a meeting that would have been. Gathered around this winsome man, and they heard life pour out of him. They heard revelation secrets. They could see in front of their eyes this woman changed right there. her name is Potini she has a name her name is Potini p-h-o-t-i-n-i I I shared this at women in the front line they about went out of their chairs (laughs) this woman changed the world the earliest church fathers record that there were four preeminent apostles of the Lamb. Peter, James, John, Potini. She was listed as the, one of the great apostles of Jesus because she didn't just lead a village to the Lord. She went and led village after village after village throughout the Middle East. She won thousands of people to Christ. She changed the world. A band of women followed her and they were so anointed, they, they were in Alexandria, Egypt, and Jesus appeared to her in a dream, came to her in a dream, called her by name, and said, Potini, I have a work for you to do in Rome. She and her women went to Rome. Nero found out that the woman who was changing the world, see, you don't even know about her, do you? You haven't even heard about her. If you have, it's because you heard me teach on it somewhere. I'm going to write a book, The Forgotten Disciples. She will have a chapter. So she went to Rome. Nero discovered that the woman who had changed the world was in his city. He, detached, he, he dispatched a, a, a number of his troops to go and arrest her and bring her to the palace. She beat them to it. She knew they were coming and snuck into the palace and said, You are looking for me? Fearless, courageous, was Potini. Somebody tell me why she was conveniently deleted from church history. Ladies, somebody tell me why she was taken out of church history. Because the good old boys couldn't handle a woman apostle that turned the world upside down, that was always listed with Peter, James, and John as one of the greats of the great. So Nero ordered his troops to beat them with rods on their hands, to beat their hands with, with rods. After an hour, the men grew weary of swinging the rod and nothing happening, not even a nail, gals. So he got another set to beat them for an hour, and then finally a third set, and no one of the Roman cracked. Praetorium could touch them. So enraged, he told his daughter, Dominina. I've done my research. Dominina, his daughter. He said, spread out the wealth of our, of our region. Spread out the wealth of Rome on tables. And tell them it'll be all theirs if they will recant. Come on, ladies. Gucci, Prada. Michael Kors, credit cards, shoes, everything. I mean, just think of the the finest mall outlet stores, stuffed on a table. Well, it was a mistake. He left, and Potini led Domenina to Jesus right there. She converted. She converted to the Lord and gave all of that to the poor, which infuriated her father. He lit a fiery furnace and determined to kill Potini and the women, he threw them into this furnace for three days, after which they walked out. He did at last, I'm gonna shorten the story, he did at last cause her martyrdom. And you'd never guess how, he, how Potini met her, her death. He threw her in the bottom of a well. The woman at the well. Welcome to Sod. So the book of Revelation, when we grow up, boys and girls, and we begin to understand, That the book of Revelation is an unveiling of Jesus, not Antichrist. That the the Antichrist doesn't exist. I shared it the other night. There's no such thing grammatically, biblically, about the Antichrist. You cannot point to one scripture that speaks of the Antichrist. It is never found with the definite article. It is always plural, plural antichrist or a spirit so we've missed that haven't we and you know if I teach you things that you haven't heard is is it okay that you at least think about it you at least you know ponder it in your heart muse on it and don't don't like go out on Facebook and tell everybody what a heretic I am (laughs) I mean you can you're it's America But Jesus is coming in the clouds, right? It's Nephele, the Greek word Nephele. Meta is with or within. He's coming within clouds, surrounded by clouds. He's not coming on top of a cloud. He's coming surrounded with clouds. Eight times in the Bible, clouds are people. We bring him back. We bring back Jesus Christ. When when is he coming? When we bring him. He's not coming back. I have eight things that have to happen before Jesus comes. And none of them are in Left Behind series. I told you I want to write a book. Uh, uh, I want to be left behind. I'm going to write a book. I want to be left behind. Yeah. Because, let me explain. Jesus said, It's as it was in the days of Noah. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left behind. Am I speaking truth? You can look at it yourself. Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, one will be taken, swept away. The other will be left behind. In the days of Noah, who was swept away and who stayed behind? It's so simple. It was the unrighteous that were taken. And it was the righteous that were left behind. Now, you can interpret Bible from novels and what you've been taught for 50 years or you can read it and let the Bible teach you, let the Holy Spirit teach you. But I wanna be left behind. So a lot of the end time scenario of a temple being rebuilt, which I I share with you, it's not gonna be rebuilt, and if it is, it's not God. God will have nothing to do with it. He tore it down once, he did a great job. Who wants to volunteer to sew the veil back up? Are we gonna have two rooms or three? you want to start animal sacrifice all over again beloved there will not be another temple rebuilt of stone the temple of Ezekiel is being rebuilt of the hearts and lives of people that are now his dwelling place God does not dwell in temples made with hands that's what Acts 17 tells us so the dwelling place of God is among men correct The one thing that got Jesus crucified was him saying, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. This was hurled at him at his illegal trial, and it was thrown at him while he was on the cross. They actually jeered him by saying, How's that going now? You know, destroy this temple? Come on down off the cross. You said you're going to build in three days. And we know that it was a metaphor, allegory, wasn't it? It was a symbol. How many people miss the Lord in our midst by not receiving something on a different level? It was the refusal to accept allegory that crucified Jesus. So let's take the first coming. Um, Where were the Bible guys at the first coming? Where were the scholars? Were they at the manger? The only ones that received and got and understood and got, got it, received it by revelation. Let's start with the wise men. Now, when you come to, you know... When you come to Bethlehem with me in October, I'll explain this on site with insight. But there were not three wise men. There were probably closer to three hundred than three, because three men would not have turned the Jerusalem upside down. But but Pilate said that the city was turned upside down. I'm sorry, Herod said the city was turned upside down by the coming of these wise men. The Magos, M A G O S, were the leftovers of Daniel's anointing. Daniel was the chief of the magi they had received supernatural revelation from the anointing of a man with the spirit of revelation this, the searcher of mysteries Daniel and a generation or two after his death that anointing still was upon the magi and they saw in the stars a King's birth and they came from Iran they were Iranians Persians, and they made quite an entourage as they came, and it wasn't a nice little goodie basket with little gold and trinkets and some frankincense and a little bit of myrrh. No, they were bringing the wealth of a king to a baby. They got it by revelation, correct? How about the shepherds? How did they understand, and how did they show up at the manger? <laughs> I mean, dude, heaven emptied out <laughs> to, to announce. Talk about a choir. They, they, they got it because of the angelic host that sang, you know, Gloria, you know, in excelsis deo. I don't think they sang that. but So the shepherds got it by revelation. The wise men got it by revelation. Let's ask about Mary. How did Mary herself understand? She got it by an angel named Gabriel. How about Joseph? It's called three supernatural dreams, if you'll look at the first two chapters of Matthew. So nobody got the first coming without revelation from heaven. And you have the second coming figured out? Just the appearing of Christ in the book of Matthew chapter 2 should humble us enough that when we think about the second coming, which is not even found in the Bible, the term second coming's not there. I'm sorry, guys. Do a concordance. I mean, millennium, rapture, second coming... And Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. You will not find any of them. And yet those are the things that we associate. Armageddon is a place, not an event. So there's just so many mysteries that are not going to be given to the know-it-alls. I had to tear up my charts. I traveled and taught as a young pastor of the seven dispensations. I taught all of this stuff, man, about how the premillennial a pre-trib rapture uh, and, and the, the millennium, and, and I, I taught it all. But that tongues was of the devil is really, really, was what got me. When I realized how wrong I was with that, I, I said to the Lord, where else am I wrong? He said, well, since you're asking, about everywhere. <laughs> really. I mean, humble pie... Big slice. No Alamode either. It was, uh, you know, if, now if you know it all, first of all, I don't know why you would come tonight, and secondly, you, you're not going to get revelation from God. He wants us to live in the seven spirits, the sevenfold spirit of God. And one of the seven spirits of God is the spirit of discovery. It's the spirit of revelation. And it comes upon those that are ready to to receive like little children. Isn't that true? So some of you are still thinking back at Potini. Catch up here with me. (laughs) Yeah. It says that the the coming of the Lord is, is... is at hand. It's the Greek word egus, E-G-G-U-S. I have all of this in my footnotes of Revelation. But the coming of the Lord is at hand, which means, egus means to squeeze or to throttle, to hold in your hand. The coming of the Lord is in your hands. I've tried to share First Peter one five with people and it's amazing how pastors and people have never even looked at it. Never it's like I can't believe it's in the Bible. You know what First Peter one five says? There's coming a sozo you don't even know yet. There's coming a salvation that's ready to be unveiled, revealed. That word revealed is the same word as the title of the last book of the Bible. There's a salvation ready to be unveiled. Apocalypto apo means to lift the cover, to take off. Lupto is veil. So the book of Revelation is to take off the veil. It's to lift the veil. It's to reveal something. It's to take what's been hidden and to take the veil off and make it known 1 Peter 1 5 uses that word and says there's a salvation that is ready to be unveiled in the last Kairos there's coming a salvation we don't even know about yet so if we don't even know about salvation yet how many other things are about to be upgraded acts 2.0 is coming To a church near you. There's coming divine upgrades like you cannot believe. Did you know all of creation is not groaning and travailing for the rapture? It's not groaning and travailing for the second coming, in quotes. What is all of creation, Romans 8 19? What is all of creation groaning and travailing for? you and i being unveiled uses the same word as the book of revelation the apocalypto to be unveiled the unveiling of sons the revealing of sons and daughters the next step the next let me say it better the next uh, stage of the appearing of the lord the next stage prophetically of life as we know it on earth is not judging the nations it's revealing christ within the believer it's unveiling Christ in us. There is a Christ in you company ready to be revealed. Christ in heaven is not the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in me, Colossians 1, 27. Christ in me, the mystery. There's one of your 27 mysteries of the New Testament. The mystery of Christ in you. The great mystery that you're not human anymore. There's Something that has mingled into you. Uh, you've got a cling-on. His name is Jesus. He's inside of you. You carry like Mary, the Christ of glory. There's something burning in you. There's a, a Christ coming forth in you. You're going to become like Christ. And when we see him, we will be like him. And when we see him isn't in heaven. It's when you see him. In the situation you're in, in the eyes of another friend, when you see him in a difficult place, when you see him in his miracle power, whenever you see him, it changes you to become like him. The pure in heart will see God. So this this appearing of the Lord is called the parousia, the coming, the Greek word for the coming of the Lord. This is the word used predominantly in the Bible for the, for the coming. And like I said, second coming, that phrase second coming is not found in the Bible. Technically, Jesus came the second time already at Pentecost. He came in spirit and, and infiltrated every human body that believes in him. And now we are the temple. We, are, we carry the Christ. We are indwelt by the spirit of Christ. Romans 8 9, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. So we all have that coming of the Lord in spirit to us. Thank God, isn't that beautiful? So parousia has nothing to do with distance. The coming of the Lord is not, he's way beyond the stars, but he's gonna come here. Like, you better leave now, Jesus, because it's gonna take a long time to get, get here. Perusia is something that's been by you the whole time, and suddenly appears and manifests. There it is. You ever get surprised? Somebody's there, and you didn't realize they were. Oh, ho, oh. That's the coming of the Lord. Wow. Intimacy, not intellect is the key to revelation. Uh, Proverbs 25 verse two says that God, uh, let's see, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, right, and the glory of kings to search it out. That is not a good translation and I'll explain why The word dabar, D-A-B-A-R, is translated 800 times in the Old Testament. Not as matter, but as word. It would be the Hebrew equivalent to logos. So it's the glory of God to conceal his word. But there's still not, uh, that's not the best The nuanced translation of those three words, kathar debar kabod, those three Hebrew words, is he hides his word in his glory. Guess where you have to go to find, where do kings go to find his word? They go into the glory. So the hiding place of God's revelation is in his glory. And, you know, the the, uh, wading pool, the kiddie pool, the superficial shallow end doesn't yield to us the secrets of God. It requires that we go in deep enough to swim in. Remember Ezekiel's river over our head? We got to get in over our head. And if the Western church insists on um, eliminating every teaching that doesn't fit the intellect, then we are going to do what they did to Jesus when he said, destroy this temple three days, I will build it again. That doesn't fit the intellect, right? Eat my body, drink my blood. That does not fit the intellect. That's cannibalism. Jesus is not the lamb, right? That's a metaphor. Is, you know, Jesus said, I am the door, but is he a literal door? No, he's, he's, that's a metaphor. So, I'm the bread of life. Is he, like, gluten-free or paleo, you know, white or multigrain? You know, it's silly to ask because it's not literal. I'm just trying to... I'm trying to ease you into this to where you, you say, you know what? You've got to interpret the Bible not just literally, but you've got to go into the sod level. Come on, divorce your five husbands. They're no good. They're bums. <laughs> Jesus is the perfect husband. So... I'll let you ask a question or two. <laughs> Pastor Jim, all eyes are upon thee, <laughs> John.
1: Fotini verses in the New Testament where the qualifications of the, the pastor kind of blows that out of the water, doesn't it? Because she was a woman that led all these people to Christ where it says, must be the husband of one wife to be this. That kind of blows it out, doesn't it?
0: Stump the, stump the speaker. That's really good. Um, yeah? What's that? Yeah, I, I don't think she was pastoring a local church. Yeah,
2: she was an apostle. Uh,
0: I can, I can it, with time, I could show you, I can't in a minute, but uh, I, could, I have the proof that copyists and scribes and translators changed uh, purposely Junius in Romans 16, who was an apostle, into a male name because they couldn't handle a woman apostle. And I think I could prove to you that Cleopas, who was one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, was a woman. I think it was Peter's wife. There's a whole bunch of anti-woman Scriptures that don't fit the heart of God nor the, the truth of the of the complete counsel of God. The two places where God where the Lord gave where Paul, I should say, gave any kind of prohibition to women were both places where Diana worship was there were temples to Diana, Ephesus and Corinth, and there were temples. Uh, And all of the women, all of the priests of the temple were women. There was no such thing as male priests. There was only female priests in Diana worship. And they would come into the church and try to take over. Because culturally, they were the ones that dispensed truth. So that's why Paul gave a seeming prohibition in Timothy and in Corinth. Timothy was at Ephesus. Okay, another question? Yeah. Yeah, we'll do the mic. Just want everybody to hear it. You know, you were saying intimacy over intellect. Yeah. To get into the sod side level. Yeah. Do but and you've been given a lot of examples with Greek words, Hebrew words. You know, for the common layperson to get into that level of understanding. You know, how did, how yeah. do we need to do that or not? Uh, that's a really good question, and I'm I'm glad to answer that. I, again, I don't think it's education that brings revelation necessarily. Uh, pro, uh, knowledge puffs up, Paul writes. So uh, I'll reemphasize what I said earlier that a child-like heart, not child-ish, but a child-like heart that will that can be taught. I mean you think about a child you give them crayons they're going to color all over the page until we train them to get inside the lines. Why? I think it's wrong. Color wherever you want except the walls. <laughs> but you know a child is ever learning, they're curious, they're they you know they're gonna receive by faith, truth. And I think those are the qualities that bring us into a deeper level of understanding. The story of Joseph, it's just, I just keep kind of defaulting back to that, how, you know, at one point, Joseph has got so much revelation, he shares it prematurely, and they misinterpret his motives. They, They hate him and throw him in a pit, and then Ishmaelites come and rescue him, and then he later goes to Potiphar, and as God would have it, he goes right into the house of the prison warden. Among other things, Potiphar uh, ran the prison system, but he also was like uh, the uh, you know he was like the administrator of the kingdom of Egypt. And here's Joseph in that very house. God it's only God, you see the mystery of God's ways, of how He worked through betrayal and pain and rejection and sorrow and tears. Can't you hear the 17-year-old boy crying out in that pit while his brothers are eating, just a few feet from the pit? It says they sat down and ate a meal while Joe is in the pit, crying, "Don't leave me, get me out." and that pain and sorrow and yet look where it brought him it took him right and then to be betrayed again by this you know woman who came on to him it says over and over every day he had to put up with that what young 30 what young 23 year old kid would put up with that every single day she's coming on you know and his character said no it doesn't matter if other people know, God knows. And he ran and he lost his second robe to her. You know the story. Falsely imprisoned and then supernaturally brought out. The whole, that whole thing is the mystery of our life. The mystery of our lives. So what you're going through is going to put you on the throne. The people that have hurt you you will turn around and say, God overruled you and meant it for good. And grudges will dissolve and you're gonna take a kingly priestly place of authority and you're not gonna you're not gonna be bitter anymore. Yeah. We got a microphone coming.
1: Well, first i want to thank you for the passion translation Uh, it's really blessing me so i really appreciate that um my question um i want to say that i really appreciate what you're saying about the glory of god being revealed or that god being revealed through his people yeah um and that the second coming or you know that there's no turn for the second to come in but my question is um will there be an actual You know, at the end of the age or the next age to come, will the man Christ Jesus actually manifest in the in the flesh? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And thank you for asking me that. Is there more to your question?
1: Uh, No, that's that's basically no. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I often forget to make that clear. Because uh, is okay? Is Jesus God or man? Is the Book of Revelation literal or is it symbolic? You see what I'm saying? Jesus is literally coming back. He's bodily going to return. He bodily went into heaven. Jesus is bodily going to come back. But it doesn't say that a cloud came down and then Jesus stepped on the cloud and the cloud (laughs) lifted him up. uh, You know, with sound effects and lights and stuff. But rather, he went up. If you look at the Acts 1 text, it says that Jesus went up and a cloud surrounded him, and he went out of sight. So he's going to come back again within clouds. Now, the Old Testament had a cloud of glory, but in the New Testament, it's plural. Clouds. We are the clouds he's coming in. He's coming in a people that look just like him. He came to us, then he came in us, but he's going to come through us before he comes for us. There is a lookalike company of men and women. I have 25 terms, Shulamite, Joseph's Company, Overcomers, 100-fold fruit-bearing branches, uh, you know, living sacrifices. Over and over, the Bible says that there is an upgraded version of of a believer that's coming, dread champions are coming, daybreakers, Joel's army, mighty captains, champions of eternity, men and women that have been with Jesus, transfigured ones are coming. Jesus' transfiguration, I believe, is a prophecy, not just an event, that what happened to Jesus on that mountain where the glory shone out of him is going to be happening to many. If you want to call it 144,000, that's Jesus dispensed into his people. But he's going to come in a people that are are radiant and beautiful and looking like him, love like him. Jesus is so beautiful and perfect that the Father is going to repopulate the earth with people just like him. He's the perfect pattern. He's the perfect son. He's the firstborn of many sons. So the unveiling of sons and daughters is the next thing on God's timetable. Now, if if the second coming depended on you, how close are we? Oh, dude, I got some stuff. Yeah, you do. You got some stuff? Yeah. But the good thing is Jesus says, let us catch the foxes. I'll catch them for you. Let's, let's deal with these compromises. Let's go after this stuff. That hinders the garden of love from coming, but I will care. I will get you through this. I will help you weed your garden. I will catch the foxes. Now, the foxes of the Song of Songs are the compromises that, like Swiss cheese, riddle our lives. And foxes are found in the book of Judges with Samson. Samson, this is really cool. Uh, Put this on YouTube. But Samson caught 30 foxes. I mean, have you done one lately? He caught 30, 15 pair. He caught with his bare hands 15 foxes. Then he tied their tails together and put a torch in the knot. He tied their tail with a torch. Can you imagine what they're doing while Samson's doing this? That's why I say YouTube this, baby. I want to see, they're, they're just like going wild. What a man. And then he lights the torch and he kicks them out into the flesh of Philistine wood hand stubble. And it consumes the fields of the Philistines. And God will tie a torch of truth to our compromises. And will burn up. The dross, he'll burn up and purify us by by fire, by testing. Somebody lied to you and they said that God will not test you, or that you will never go through hard times. I have a least sold book. You know, you talk about bestsellers. I have a least sold book called The Wilderness. And um, I told our publisher, I, I I called the book Miracles in Your Wilderness. And they said, no, no, let's call it wilderness where miracles are born. I said, nobody's going to buy it, but that's okay. It's all right. I'm not after after selling books. I want to get the truth out. But in that book, I talk about the ten named wildernesses in the Bible. There are ten of them. Every believer has to go through eight. There are two that no believer should ever go through. But eight of the ten named wildernesses, you're going to pass through, I'm sorry. But on your, between here and your promised land is a wilderness or two you're going to walk through. The very first one Israel came to, do you know what it was, the, very, the wilderness? It was called Shur, or affectionately known, Yal Shur. <laughs> they had to go through a wilderness called Shur, S-H-U-R. Shur is the Hebrew word wall. It's when you feel like you're up against a wall. You ever felt that way? You can't go anywhere. Your back's against a wall. You're you're stuck. You can only go one direction. God literally put them in a wilderness called Shur so he could get them to the Red Sea. God shoved them into a wilderness to push them to an impossible situation so that he could do a miracle. There's another wilderness It's the wilderness of sin. But sin, in the Hebrew, is the word clay. It's the wilderness of clay. It's where you're molded, you're squeezed like clay. My clay is aching. (sighs) That is really bad. But it's a symbol. And the the wildernesses, they're all, the, the meaning of the wilderness are the situations we go through to get into our promised land. So I see all of the Old Testament as a metaphor. I see in the seven days of creation, I see the seven stages of becoming like Christ. The third day, by the way, God didn't create the dry land. He raised it up out of the water. He raised up on the third day. Somebody will get this. He raised up on the third day something that had never been seen before. That's what happens on the third day. Until we become a Sabbath people, a people that find all our rest from our own striving, we find our, our, our everything in Jesus Christ, the Sabbath man. He is the seventh one. So, yeah, I think I've taken probably enough of your time. I, I just wanted to share some of these mysteries with you you know one of the 27 mysteries you'll like this marriage (laughs) is a mystery paul speaks about our marriage a husband a wife is a mystery that points to christ and his bride we have the mystery of iniquity We have the mystery of godliness. There's 27 of them. Just just take the word mysterion, the Greek word, and search it out. And it makes a really fascinating Bible study. (sighs) Thank you guys for just letting me gab and talk a little bit. I've enjoyed being here with you uh, for the weekend. Some of you, this is probably the first time to be in one of my meetings. And I'm frustrating you, no doubt. But... Um, buy me coffee and we'll work it all out okay we'll we'll work it out yeah yeah Josh will run over
3: there just bear with me Um, sure as you were talking about the mind and the heart um, I heard an accusation of like deception and I wanted to expose that um And it made me think uh, that these deceptions that that it talks about in Matthew 24, 24 um, would be because um, all these believers are only pursuing the Lord with their mind and and they've totally cut the heart off. Like They've just shut the heart down. And I wanted to ask you if you would please um, just speak into the like, like, what that means in Matthew 24 and 24. Like, what are these deceptions?
0: It says there'll be many deceivers that will come. Yes. Yeah, and it goes on to, to say that they they are proclaiming to be Christ, okay. that they are claiming uh, that unique one and only position of Christ in people's lives. So um, I I think deceptions have been around since Adam, and we're all prone. Uh, the bible speaks more about not deceiving yourself than it says being deceived by anyone else three times as much so every verse that says don't be deceived there's three verses that say don't deceive yourself in other words don't be deceived by others versus being self-deceived yeah i i think any truth that w- causes us to wander from Christ, the centrality of, of the blood, the cross, the resurrection, the person of Jesus Christ, anything that dilutes or moves us away from that is suspect. It should be viewed as a as a deception. Um, is, is there uh, another comment? Yes, do you have some,
3: have you written some things about this or resources on this subject?
0: Anything written on it? Have you? No, not, not at this point, other than, I don't even know if I have adequate footnotes in Matthew 24 about that, but um, are, do you have some thoughts you want to share? What, what do you think that that deception, I, what it could I, be?
3: I don't know. I was, I was, as you were talking about the heart and the mind and how, um, you know, how we have to, we just have to love him and we have to experience them from our heart. Right. Like, does deception happen at both levels? Does it happen, or does it it start in the mind? Do you?
0: I think it does start in the mind. Yeah, I think we, but we can get bitter hearts, and that opens up doors to deception. We can hold, you know, unforgiveness, and that definitely leads us into self-justifying deceptions, yeah.
3: And it, it made me think that like the cessation stuff, the cessation teaching would would be used uh to to yeah. conceal the glory that God is trying to reveal, that Jesus is trying to reveal through his pride.
0: Yeah, I I because will say that I I have been the brunt of a lot of this. I mean, as a translator, uh I mean you don't have to Google very far to find some really nasty stuff about me and uh, to have my heart guarded and and to just learn to uh, love them and bless them. But it's becoming very, very uh, fierce. There's a, an anger behind this that is so, I mean, what they say about Bethel, there's Facebook pages and websites against Bethel, that, Bethel Church in Reading that are so, like, and, and things that, that are just not true. But I, I'm not called to put out fires like that. And I think my wife knows me, my children know my heart and love me, which is crazy, I'm so glad. My grandkids love me because I have credit cards. <laughs> and, and the people that I walk in fellowship with and, and want a relationship of friendship with, they likewise know my heart and could speak into my heart if they wanted. But uh, so that's that's at the end of the day. I just put my head on my pillow and say, man, I feel sorry for don't you have something better to do than yeah. who am I? I'm, I'm nothing. You know, I'm just doing what God called me to do. And uh, there is a. Mentality that by. Going around, uncovering deception mm-hmm. that you fall into it yourself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a lot of the heresy hunters. I'm a Christ hunter. I'm a lover. I'm going after Christ, and if, if, that's, if I'm a heretic for loving Jesus, all my heart, and I don't believe it the same, maybe I have a nuanced view of eschatology, uh, but I, you know, I said to one of my critics, I, I, they got so angry, I said, well, how many times have you risked your life for the gospel? Because I have more than once. And I would again. So you don't do that for something that's a lie. Yeah. So did you have a question, sweetheart? Uh, Way way back over here in the holy corner. I'm interested in
2: knowing what some of the other uh, named wildernesses are.
0: Got to get the book. It's, oh, okay, yeah.
2: it's in the book. Yeah, That's get the book. Fine. Yeah. fine. Okay, Please it's... get it
0: out of the, the lowest seller rank.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, I mean, hell has so many different metaphors in Scripture. Would you mind just speaking to just what your view is on the, the teachings of hell in Scripture?
0: Just... Of oh, hell. Oh, no, I don't mind at all. I'm glad, glad you asked. Um, This is one of the hot items right now, especially with young people. No, really? Oh, yeah, hot item. She got it. (laughs) I believe what Jesus said about hell. And by the way, he's the one that taught about it. It wasn't necessarily Paul. It was Jesus. Paul mentioned it, but Jesus taught more about hell than he did heaven. Uh. From a scholarly point of view, this, um, this statement that, that eternity is just an age, this is where they're saying this, that hell is temporary. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of... Um, there's all kinds of... <laughs> this really ties into what our brother said over here about deception. Because the starting point is I don't want to believe in it. And that opens up your heart to deception. When if Jesus says it, folks, the same Greek word used for the duration of hell is the same Greek word used for the character of God. So if God is going to stop being God, then there will be a day when hell is no more, when there's no hell. But hell is eternal. And I do believe in the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus, and I know that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of theology swirling around, but I have um, I have drenched myself for 47 years in the truths of the gospel, and as weird as it may sound, it's brought me this far, and I'm not going to turn away from what I know is true. So, the arguments that there is no hell do not stand the test of the Bible. The argument that hell is temporary does not stand the test of the Bible. And the argument that everybody is already saved, this is called um, inclusionism. And boy, I could name names on this, but there are teachings going around that is inclusionism, I n c l u s i o n. ISM if you google this it will give you a lot of information inclusionism is the teaching that everyone is already saved they don't know it and the wow. and our message is simply to realize you're included in Christ before you were born therefore you never were lost you just thought you were and and I know I'm simplifying it and they would say maybe distorting it but the the essence is Everybody saved. Our mission is to educate, to get people to realize that you're in Christ. There's actually a translation of the Bible that is uh, rooted in inclusionism. That, that,
1: Excuse me?
0: Yeah, and you know, doesn't that tickle our hearts to say those things? I mean, that just, I love that. That sounds so good, and it's 99% truth, but when you put A drop of cyanide into pure water who wants to drink it so inclusionism is the worst because it's so close to truth universalism is farther off the scale a lot easier to spot and that's basically that um, everybody in the end is going to be saved but that again I did risk my life, my wife and I, to go to the jungle to reach a tribe who were not included, believe me. They were so demonized. I mean, it was almost like Ohio. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> <They were laughs> Come on. No, 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 that's bad, that's bad. They were bad. <clears throat> Ohio- you guys are really nice. Yeah. You haven't poisoned me. You know, they, they did, but um, they were lost. And if you could talk to them, if and I would translate what their words were, were saying, they would say something like, we were lost totally. We followed demons. We served them. We chanted to them. They would manifest, and we knew the spirit realm. But the man who brought us the living book told us, of a God who is above all gods. And we turned to him away from our idols. And now we know the truth. We were going to hell. They would say that. So a long convoluted answer. But uh, as long as the Bible is the Bible, there's a hell to shun. And we save some by fire. And... Uh, Others can be won by the love of God, but there are some that are going to be won by the preaching of hell's flames. Not my favorite sermon, but it's truth. My brother? What do I think about grace? Yeah, the grace, uh, what's known as the hyper grace? My thoughts on grace? Okay. I love it. I love grace. I need it. It's amazing. Uh, you know, <clears throat> can I segue into what I'd like to say about, uh, you know, from your question? Great question. I, I really believe in grace. I believe it is a central theme of the gospel. There's no works of man that's going to bring salvation to anybody. Um, but I wish they chose a different term than hyper grace because I am hyper grace. I want hyper love. Hyper mercy, hyper Holy Ghost. I want hyper grace. You know what I'm saying? I want hyper everything. I'm hyped. I guess. It's that coffee you gave me. But what they mean by that is grace taken to the point where where sin is diluted and excused and not you know uh, just ignore it and it's distorted. It's it's lawlessness. It's antinomianism. It is a teaching that will not free the heart of man. It puts you back into bondage under the guise of hypergrace. But actually, Paul uses the word hooper with grace in the Bible. So the hypergrace preacher was Paul. So you better come up with a better term. He really did teach hypergrace. And I want to teach grace, grace, grace until it becomes a scandal. But that doesn't mean that we're going to take, you know, sin out of our vocabulary. I heard an old preacher tell me, I'm right in the middle of sin, so are you. S-I-N-I, right in the middle of sin. Okay, it's getting late. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Okay, we'll get a mic to you here. My blessed friend.
2: Uh, my question is: I think I'm a millennial. I'm trying. I've been trying to figure that out <laughs> since the term was coined, I guess, or came up. But um, you said I am. Okay, I am. Okay. Thank you. Confirmation. <laughs> but um, I'm wondering. I mean, even as you go through the different ways that you know you look, can look at Scripture as a, a, a desiring and a, you know aspiring you know lover of the Word to pursue the Word and to expound the Word and to get. Everything Jesus wants us to get out the word, how should we? How do you study the Bible? How do you look at scripture? What things should I focus
0: on just yeah. growing up in the word? So. Uh, that, I love that. Uh, that's really, uh, that's called wisdom. <laughs> so you're a very wise millennial. Um, hang out with people that know the word and that will stretch you. That I did as a young believer, and I purposed purposefully sat under the teaching of people that had revelation. One of the first Bible studies, you'll remember this, sweetheart, one of the very first Bible studies as young... Were we married yet? We got married? We're married now, right? Okay, we're, okay we got married. And one of the first Bible studies we went to was a teaching on the tabernacle. And I was just speaking with Pastor Jim about how... Every believer needs to take a study of the book of of the tabernacle because every item in the tabernacle was a picture of something. Even the dimensions of the brazen altar, uh, the laver was made out of the mirrors of women's mirrors. They looked at themselves in Egypt, the looking glass of the women, and it became this basin where the priests would wash and look at themselves before they went into the presence and the 60 pillars that were around the tabernacle they all mean something the linen curtains the three-room house god lives in a three-room house body soul spirit outer court holy place holy of holies and that teaching of the of the ark of covenant and what it was made of I mean, for weeks, we were mesmerized. And I go, man, the Bible is so awesome. It's so, whoa, it's a feast. So we started out under this kind of teaching. And um, as far as personally, how did I get there? Six hours a day for 40 years plus. So it, it really is... What was a duty is now a delight. I love to go to bed so I can get up and I can be with Jesus. So I can go to bed and then get up and be. I mean, it just, that's my routine, my pattern, even on vacation. So learning to, learning the fruit of the spirit is self-control. That there is a spirit empowerment that will make you faithful. To keep going day after day. And keep pursuing. And eventually, I turned around and I had all these people following me. I go, what are you following me for? I said, well, you, you're teaching us. I said, I am. I, was, I started a church at 21. And I just, it was going after God with all your heart. You guys agree with that? Okay, I think we should go. It's uh, getting close to nine. So why don't you stand and let me uh, pray and then hand the service over to our meeting, over to Pastor Jim. I hope this has been good. I, I'm really shocked at how many people came tonight at kind of a little bit of a, not a lot of notice and a Monday night. And some of you had busy weekends and fought traffic, etc. had a wild day at work. I'm really glad you came tonight. So thank you. And uh, I hope to come back in a year or so and do a course on Isaiah. That's to be determined. We're still working on details. But, uh, you know, if if I said anything that doesn't quite fit, don't worry about it. Okay? Uh, Just give it time. And what is the old saying? You... Swallow the meat and chew out the bones, or yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, what is it again? You eat the meat and spit. Okay, that's it. Okay. Well, do some spitting on your way out to the car if you need to. But my heart is that you would take some meat with you. Don't forget potini. Remind me to tell you next time about Telemachus or the demoniac that had 10 demons cast out of him and what he did to change the world. Yeah, read that book, The Forgotten Disciples, when it comes out. (laughs) Lord, I thank you for these precious friends. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. We don't want to be scholars of the word. We want to be scholars of your heart. I want to know your heart, God. And I want to communicate that when I speak and minister. When I walk through my day, I want to release your heart to people that are around me. Once you say that out loud, Jesus, I want to be a scholar of your heart. I want to know your heart, not just doctrine and truth. Truth will change me, but only when it comes into my heart. I love, you, I love you, Jesus. Transform me. Transform me. I, will be your I will be your disciple. So, Lord, take our hearts, take our words tonight, the words of our mouth, meditation of our heart. Let it be pleasing, acceptable to you, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Love you guys.
1: Man, oh man! Well, I'm not sure if you guys realize this, but um, on Brian's website, he has the, he's gone through a couple different books of the Bible, like Ephesians and Philippians, and, um, and you know we're talking like 14, 15 sessions for Ephesians, Philippians, Song of Songs, Revelation, Revelation. and so that's in multi parts and stuff. And so you can go online; and it's like kind of like getting an online spirit-filled seminary, and so it's really good. I've gone through Ephesians and Song of Songs, and so. Yeah that's available. What's the website on that? TptBibleschool.com, all right? Very exciting. Well, if we get our ushers come forward, we would love to just be a blessing to uh, Brian and Candace and bribe them to want to come back more often. So I, I think that's, I think that's a very godly desire to do that. And so did we sell all your books? We, yeah, we sold all your books. So our goal was uh, empty product suitcases, and full pockets. That's what we want to send you home with, and lots of love. And so um, a couple different ways you can give. If you make the checks out, Design Christian Fellowship, we count it separate for Brian. There'll be an app you, you can give on, and uh, there, there is an app, and you can give on it. Text, it's all, yeah, it's all up there. So, all right, so... Uh, Lord, we just bless this giving. And uh, why don't you guys just stretch your hands towards Brian and Candace? I know they got an early flight tomorrow morning, and I think you guys, you're just running to the next thing, aren't you? And so, all right. Okay, all right. So, yeah, that counts. So, Lord, we bless Brian and Candace with, uh, with more revelation, more sod. God, everything that they've sown out, we know in the kingdom, it comes back multiplied. And so, Lord, they have poured out their lives, their heart, their dreams, their visions, their revelation. And so, Lord, let it just multiply back to them. And just such a sweetness and a grace and a rest and a strength. And, Lord, let it spill over to their kids and their grandkids and those two great-grandkids. So we bless them, Lord. And uh, thank you for new friends or renewed friends in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thanks for being generous, guys. Oh, Ruth Ann, while we're closing out, Ruth Ann Kramer, yeah, come and just t- tell us what that, uh, the, the prophetic painting meant. And so deliver that. Where are you at? There she comes. All right. Let's give it up for Ruth Ann Kramer.
2: I'm so excited because it's kind of like a testimony. Um, first of all, uh, Zachary, this morning, after the big whatever happened over there with Brian and everything, this morning we had the best eye contact. Like, he was in my, like, oh, Zachary's my, I'm sorry, yeah, they don't no. know. <laughs> Zachary's my son. He was diagnosed with autism uh, about around the age of two. He's nine, and last night, he did the little run across the front here, and then you just hit him with the Lord, said, Lord, hit him, right? Two, two, two times, right? And um, anyway, we all slept in the same bed last night, because we have autism in our family and we do things like that and um, in the morning he just woke up and he just he was like this and he was just like right in my eyes like that and it it was like super connection way way more so yay jesus yeah yeah so that's and you know that's amazing because it happens when when somebody's in the presence zachary Reacts to that. And so, thank you for bringing what you've got. And so, the painting is kind of a testimony, too, because it, it actually God pushed me like to Sod at point And then, well, okay, first of all, <laughs> let me start at the beginning. Um, yeah, I'm talking about the painting with the book. And um, it's interesting because it started out like I was thinking about transformed minds, and that's where I started at. And then I got this idea of this book, which was kind of n- normal because you're a Bible translator. And then I saw butterflies coming out of the book. And so then you can't see that there are butterflies, actually, that are coming off the pages. And, um, yeah, go ahead and bring it down. Uh-huh. And Which is cool because from far away you can't see it. But when you get up close... And when you look into the glory, then you can see the butterflies, you know. And uh, I, I knew the butterflies were like, they were symbolic of transformation. And God was, yeah, there you, can you see them now? Yeah. So anyway, so the whole time I was painting up there, I was like doing this painting on the white. And you guys in the back couldn't even tell I was doing something. And isn't that cool, like when we're looking into the, word and stuff like that, that you're doing something, and people around you might not be able to see it, but it's happening, you know, and then when you can get up close to the right timing or whatever, then you can see it, so that all was going on too, and then there is this other thing, um, we were taught like, um, you're either word people or you're spirit people, remember that? And then, and then, the, you know, they tried to make you kind of, kind of figure it out. Like, are you going to be a word person or a spirit person? And then these people came and said, No, what you got to do is you got to be these balanced people. And you got, yeah, I see people shaking their head. You got to have the word and you got to have the spirit, and then you're balanced. And I, what I really love about you is you come in and you're like, No, the word is spirit. And so that's what this is about. It's about the word actually, and you see this glory coming down and everything, that the word is actually spirit. So that's where I was at. So I finished it on the first time, a Friday night, and I was happy with just the book. I was like, whoa, that's great, let's stop there. And then the Lord was like, no, take it to Butterflies. And I was like, okay, I can do Butterflies. And so I'm a self-taught artist, by the way, okay? So anyway, so then, um, yeah, I went to Butterflies. Sunday morning I woke up, And all of a sudden, now here's where we go sod, and I'm I'm learning here, (laughs) okay? So Sunday morning, I woke up, and I saw butterfly wings with eyes in them. And I was like, oh, Lord, butterfly wings with eyes in them, hmm, that's weird. But it was beautifully weird. And so then I was like, okay, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go on Google and I'm going to look for butterfly wings with eyes in them. And so I did that. And so I was Googling and looking and all these things. And I saw all these pictures. But I couldn't see anything that referenced what I saw in just that. It was like a second that he just gave me a peek of butterfly wings with eyes and It was like, boom, gone. Right? And so then I spent all this time Googling. And then Sunday morning came along, and I ran out of time. And I was like, Lord, I can't. I can't put the eyes in the wings. I, it, it's, I, I just don't know how to do it. And this is what he said to me. He said, he said, you spent your time looking at Google to try to figure out what I showed you in the spirit. And that's, that, he gave me the sad moment, you know? He gave me the peak. And on my mind's eye, I saw it. And so this is where we're at right now. Zion, I feel like this is where we're at, where it's like he's, he's showing you it. And then he's saying, okay, are you going to look for a pattern? Are you going to look and see um, what Bethel's doing so we know what to do? Or are we going to look at what he shows us in the Spirit in whatever gifting we have, whether you're a painter a dancer, or a dancer or a carpenter or whatever you do, you're, are you going to look at, what you see in the spirit or hear in the spirit or know in the spirit and then go into that. I feel like so is that yeah, I was so nervous. <laughs>